All right, welcome to another episode of the Athletic Transformation Project podcast. I'm here with Bo Chavez, the owner-operator of Uberzati, a speed-based performance facility here in Melbourne, Florida that has some very unique training methods with some high-speed treadmills, as well as some other interesting protocols I'm very excited to chop up with him today. So, Bo, welcome absolutely. to the podcast. Welcome, man. I absolutely love being here. Glad you came down. Absolutely, man. I appreciate you having me. Um, so why don't we just start with like what Uberzati is, like kind of where this came from. Again, you guys have some unique methodologies, really? some unique protocols, kind of how we got to where we are today. So Uberzati um, is a project of myself, uh, Dario Kolovic, who is another business partner of ours, and Kim Stockton. Uberzati actually means, Dario's Croatian, and Uberzati means speed acceleration in Croatian. So that's where Technically, the name came from. We're always going to ask that question: was, yeah, What actually, is Uberzati, right? And so, and then Tim is a marketing genius, and you know, developed the Z, and the Z looks like a, you know, if you look at the, the Z, it looks like a dorsal flexed ankle or uh, a, yeah, a, you yeah, know, yeah. a flexed knee and triple what we call triple flexion. Um, but the the program actually started a long time ago. Um, started developing in about '99 in Alaska. Um, oh. Oh, yeah. Tell me about that. What were you doing in Alaska? A little bit. Um, we were just, we were just, yeah, we were just talking uh, about five minutes ago about you know I, I got went to school went to school in Indiana and I just didn't like school and I didn't want to get my master's degree and I wanted to go and do something you know unique and exciting and so um, just gotten married and so we decided to load up a truck and move to Alaska and got to Alaska and had my degree and I got into a uh, a company that was. You know, it was just a more of like a, a regular gym. So got into the gym setting, doing personal training, and started um, realizing early on that I wanted to train athletes. And so uh, my goal was to, you know, get athletes. And it goes back to you were just talking about Ben. You know, my 13 year old self. If I could go back with the knowledge that I had at that time, mm. you know, when I was 14, 15, 16, 17 years old, I'd have been twice the athlete. So I said, you know what, I I want to be able to allow. Um, athletes to get stronger, to get faster, to move better, um, because I didn't have anybody to help me. Because I was born and raised in northern New Mexico, and at that point in time, there was there was nobody. Right? I was going to do some bench press or whatever, and nobody knew what speed development was. Nobody knew anything like that. So um, I uh, took the route of saying, "Hey, let's let's figure out a way to where I can develop something and take a method of speed development and." give it to kids who are, you know, 13, 14, 15, 16 years old so that they have an opportunity to go into a higher level or to just do something that they never thought they were capable of doing. So started with a company called Acceleration and Acceleration was using these devices called the high performance, at that time, high speed treadmills. And now we're calling them high performance because they're more than just speed. And so um, I started working with them and just saw, man, I was thinking this is an amazing way. And I started doing it personally. And when I started doing it personally, I turned into the athlete at 24 that I needed to be when I was 16, 17, yeah. 18 years old, right? And I'm like, man, this is amazing stuff. And so I started uh, kind of diving into it and met a, met a gentleman by the name of John Frapier who had developed the high-performance treadmill. Um, and that's where really the protocol and the adaptation of increasing, enhancing, you know, someone's speed uh, started. And that started in about 99 and just started developing it over the past uh you know, 10 years leading into developing our own treadmill, and that's where we are now. And so, um, you know, long story short is, you know, 25 years later, here we are in Florida, and I hooked up with Dario, who's a good friend of mine, and then, you know, got involved with Tim, and 
Um, we start an amazing uh, relationship and we're all very different in all very different ways. We all have our strengths um, and we bring to the table. And so we sat down one day and said, hey, how can we take this to the masses and do it in the right way? So we said, hey, let's develop Uber's audience. Let's uh, build and design our own high performance treadmill. Let's implement the protocols, right? Because that's really what the treadmill is about. Um, the, the treadmill is just like a tool, right? But you, you, you can only use a tool if you know how to use it correctly, mm. right? So now we know how to use the high performance treadmills correctly with our protocols. And so we developed uh, Uber's Audi about oh, two years ago. The concept came about two years ago and then started developing the, the Z-Tread is what we're calling it. And now the Z-Tread now is almost out and ready to roll. And so long story short, here we are today, man. That's, That's Uber's Audi. I love it. I love it. You've okay. definitely <laughs> gone from about as opposite as you can from uh, Alaska down right. to uh, yeah, coastal no, man. Florida it's, and stuff you know, like it's, that. Uh, it's been a long time coming, but uh, yeah, I mean, you, you go, I mean, you know, basically west all the way to east. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I love being here. And, you know, the cool thing about it is it's the people that are involved in this whole project that, uh, that are making the difference. It really is. That's awesome. And I do really like that idea of what you talked about of just trying to create that environment for that younger athlete who like if they have the ambition to go and do whatever it Absolutely. is to pursue their the best that they can be to go pursue athletics, just to have an environment where they can go and try and pursue that. Not something that you had for yourself growing up. Like I like I love that and motivation. That's where the passion comes from is, um, you know, pro athletes are great to work with. I love working with pro athletes. But, you know, when you have a passion for you know, we go back to these younger kids that are 13, 14, 15 years old, and you know, right, that they may not be a Division One athlete, they may not even be a Division Two athlete, right? They might not even be a Division Three athlete, but if we can develop them to to do something that they were never going to be able to capable to do, but to instill that in them and give them an opportunity to get better, okay, maybe we make a D3 kid a D2, a D2, a D1, or take a kid who's not going to go on to college and play athletics, but, you know, has the greatest experience you know, at, at the high school level, right? And that's what we want because that's what we want to develop. Pro athletes, I always say pro athletes, Division One athletes are usually um, identifiable at about age five or six, right? They're like, hey, that kid is special, right? They move different, they're bigger, they're genetically more gifted, right? But if we can take somebody, you know, and I always use myself as an example, it goes back to what you said about Ben, right? If I could go back to my, you know, 16-year-old self, right? If I could go back to my, you know, 14, 15-year-old self and have somebody like me to instill the confidence and train me like I was, you know, that I was capable of training. I just didn't have it, right? Yeah. And have that person develop me, I think my athletic career would have been twice of what it was, yeah, right? Yeah, just and help so, that person overachieve. Exactly, like, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's the whole point. Like I said, I, like I said, I love the the collegiate, you know, the higher-level collegiate kids and the, the, the pro guys, but at the end of the day is if we can truly develop these young kids and give them something that um, they weren't capable of, say, having if it wasn't for something that we we did here with them or that you do with them, however it may be, then that's that's what we want. That's our passion. Yeah, and even just you building know? like those those character traits, absolutely, and all those things. That's, yeah, yeah, that's for all, sure. That's, that's what it's all about. It can be bigger than the than the sports. Sometimes. Exactly, man. Like, yeah. That's exactly right. So. so tell me about the the treadmills, man, because that's one of like the biggest, like I guess, unique. Um, factors you guys have going on sure. here. It sounds like something that you found like for all the way back in 99, like something that you right. found, like when you first got introduced to it. What right. was it that kind of grabbed your attention about it when you first came across it? And then maybe how is that, what's that evolution look like into what we have now? So when I first started doing it and um, it was actually in about 98 is when I was really introduced to it and I got on it myself and I was like, man, right? And, 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 and what it is is it pushes you 
be on a point that you normally wouldn't push yourself if you were on the ground, right? It, it, it overrides what we call certain neural patterns, right? It's basically telling your brain to tell your body, to tell your muscles to fire at a higher rate of force, and your body and your mind begins to understand that. That's the cool thing about the treads, right? And so when I started doing it, right, and I turned into the athlete that I wanted to be, you know, four years prior to that, right, I, there, there's something to it. But once again, right, if you don't know how to progress it the, the right way, it's just like anything else, right? If you don't know how to use the tool, right, you're going to, one, abuse it, okay, and something bad's going to happen, or two, you're just not going to use it at all. You're going to be like, well, I, I just don't know what to do, and so it either sits there, or you don't use it to its full potential. Gosh, so would okay. you say that, like, talk, it sounds like that, like, overspeed concept, is that one of the ideas? Overspeed is, overspeed is one concept of it, right, but when we, when we dive into the protocols and how I developed the protocols, the one thing that I began learning through experience was, okay, yeah, does overspeed work? Absolutely, overspeed works, right, but it's really only about one to two percent of what we actually do on the treads okay um and i and to this day and when i go and i speak and we implement the program is the one thing i try to stress i said and i sit in front of it's the first thing i say is if you don't right learn anything right in these next two or three days during this education the one thing i really want you to understand is it's not the speed of the belt it's the incline of the treadmill that forces an athlete to get into certain biomechanical positions that will increase their speed on the ground, right? What I found out a long time ago, and this is through almost um, losing um, my business early on, was I was doing overspeed training, but I was doing overspeed training in an off-weighted situation. What do you mean? Right. So, um, infinite wisdom, right? Is I I, I saw a uh, a program and they were doing overspeed and they had a harness attached to them, right? Which is what how you know technically how we developed the harness. Um, for these treads but what they were doing they were actually off-weighting people oh okay 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 yeah. in in the hopes of in the hopes of yeah, taking off some body weight so that when they get on the they get on the belt right and they they overturn and it becomes quote-unquote overspeed we know overspeed works but what i started finding was is as these higher level athletes get into say 19 20 21 22 miles per hour and you put them in an off-weighted situation okay and you're running at say 22 miles an hour right and their foot hits that belt and that belt pulls them back right and they go into the flight phase and the weight is actually pulling your body detects that the body doesn't like that what's the first thing the body wants to do it wants to protect itself mm. right and if you're not used to that that uh that greater stretch that that belt's getting on you the first thing the body wants to do is slow down and in an off-weighted position it's even worse because you're being pulled up right so then you begin to overstride. and at 21 22 23 miles per hour if you overstride, the first thing the body does instead of you know, high knee, dorsal flexed ankle, and then putting it straight down up underneath your um, support system, you go out in front of you. And at 22 miles an hour, if you put your heel down out in front of you, the first thing that goes, hamstring. So I started popping hamstrings, all right? Not just like, oh, you know, I'm just kind of like tweaking a little bit. I'm like, like, you know, these kids are getting shot, right? They'd get on that treadmill, man, and they would start overstriding, and automatically, boom, there goes a the hamstring, right? And so a guy like me, right, begins to give the, the, the treadmill a bad a bad name right because that's the thing right it's not the same it's different it hurts people blah 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 well that I learned that early on that if you do that right you have to change it and so I made a phone call to John Frapier and I said hey man I said I, are you seeing these kind of things he goes well what are you doing I'm like well I'm I'm doing some overspeed stuff he goes well overspeed works you know that I'm like yeah he goes are you doing it at, at low incline I said I'm doing it low incline about one to two percent sometimes zero he said what else are you doing 
right? So he's picking my brain, right? What, what's going on, right? Because we're not pulling hamstrings, right? Mm. If you're following a, a correct system, we don't pull hamstrings. Mm. And so, well, I'm doing some off-weighting. He's like, well, how much are you off-weighting him? I said, I don't know, 15 pounds. And he said, and it's funny, is he had a, like a, a North Dakota accent. He's like, oh, bo, oh, bo. <laughs> he goes, even at five pounds, bo, he goes, um, you, that body detects that, right? He says the biomotor pattern will change. And the first thing they're going to do is overstride. And the first thing you do at an overstride position on a high performance treadmill, high speed, at high speeds, is you pop the hamstring. Mm. Right? So does overspeed training work? Absolutely. But it has to be done right. And so I'm like, okay, no more off waiting. How can we? But I also wanted to be able to support the athlete if something happens, right? So we developed a harness to where when they hit foot contact, they're full body weight. Okay? We're still over, we're still over speeding them. Okay, but they're still full body weight. Now the harness becomes more of a uh, support system. Interesting. Okay, but here's a here here's the caveat: is you can't overspeed somebody if they don't know how to run that specific speed. Mm. Does that make sense? That's where everybody goes wrong, right? Is okay. I want I want my athlete to run 20 miles per hour. Okay, and the thought process is okay. I have a high high speed treadmill. All right, we're going to get them on there. Say they're a high level athlete. I want them to run, be able to hit say. 21, 22 miles per hour on, on actual ground and have actual 22 mile ground speed. We'll put them on the treadmill, right? We'll try to get them faster. So what are we going to do? We'll start at 20, 21, 22 miles per hour. Just throw them into it. Just throw, throw them into throw it, them it in right? The throw them into it, right? But the thing is, is if your body doesn't have right the, the, the neurological capacity to uh, fire the muscles at, at that high rate of force, they're just not going to get it, right? So they get out at 20 miles an hour. If they can't handle 20 miles per hour, right, they just can't handle it. It's like I tell a coach, I said, okay, if you want a, a kid to squat 500 pounds, right, do you put them under the bar at 500 pounds? No, yeah. right? You have to periodize it to get yeah. progression, right? So what's the point of the protocols? Progression. Mm -hmm. Okay, so, on, so when we're talking about over speed, we don't do any kind of quote-unquote lower incline, higher speed until we'll, in our, our progression on the third, the fifth, and the seventh weeks. Mm -hmm. Right? It's not like, okay, we're going to do high speed week one, week two, week three, week four, week five, week six, week seven, right? And hoping that, you know, that biomotor pattern, they pick up that speed. No, we use the incline, okay, to force the athlete, or more importantly, to force the brain, to tell the muscles, to fire the, the, the proper sequence of the muscles using the incline, right, to enhance stride frequency and stride length by increasing triple flexion and triple extension, right? We do that for two to three weeks. Then... Right. Once they have those parameters down, then we'll get them at a higher at a higher rate of force or a higher speed at a moderate incline. Right. At a little bit higher um, speed on the tread. So as an example, OK, if we take a 17 year old uh, varsity high school athlete, right, um, assess them, do everything we do. So from weeks one to week two, within the protocols and the progression, right, we dose them with the incline. Right. The incline's forcing them to get into certain parameters that normally wouldn't get in on the ground. Okay, and we can get into that triple flexion, triple extension, dorsal flexion, which I know you're big on, dorsal flexion at the ankle and dorsal flexion at the big toe. Mm. And nobody ever talks about the big toe, but it takes those two weeks, right? Then, okay, <clears throat> we bring them down to a lower incline, say week three, okay? Um, and then at that point, we can do an overspeed, right? But they'll start at, say, 12, 13, 14, 15 miles per hour. That's week three, okay? Then we dose them again for another two weeks with the incline, Okay, then on week five or week six, right, now they're doing uh, 13, 14, 15, 16, maybe 16, 17 miles per hour. 
then dose them again for three weeks with the incline with different holds, different. I mean, there's a lot of things we do on the tread. It's not just get on and run. Yeah. Uh, so then at the seventh to eighth week, now they're going 16, 17, 18, maybe 19 miles per hour. Okay. But we dose them over a periodized approach to get them to, okay, quote unquote, 20 miles per hour. If that's what they want to run. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's not just get them on and say, okay, let's see how fast you can run today. Yeah. Okay? That's interesting. Cause like the, I haven't, trained over speed like consistently or anything like that but i've just dabbled with um like we'll just have a hill outside of my house in Gainesville sure. and it's running downhill right like one of the, like i know the original ways to do like and it does feel that's like it. having that's, it not does. having any background it feels very strange like right just trying to like roadrunner like it doesn't feel natural it doesn't feel natural um and it's not and it and it's really not natural so you know I've, there's been i've done so many shows and been doing this for so long that i've heard you know everything is like well we can just you know i've had some old school coaches like we'll just go outside and we'll run them downhill or we'll go outside and we'll run them uphill, right? If you're talking about incline, that's great. I understand that. So here's a couple caveats. So downhill running, all right? If the hill is greater than 5%, okay, your body automatically will go into an overstride sequence. And I can feel, yeah. My right? You're, you're kind of like when you're a little kid, right? I remember I, I grew up in the mountains, right? And I, we'd be like, all right, let's run downhill. Well, you run downhill, right? And you start going downhill. Is it over speed? Right? Is your brain saying, holy shit, man, I've got to get going, right? You're almost and like so, playing. Yeah. Man. So you're right. Exactly, yeah. right? And you start, I mean, your stride changes drastically. But yeah. if you're in an actual controlled situation and you want to, you know, do an overspeed and you want to do downhill, that's fine. But anything greater, and I'm telling you right now, anything greater than 5% of inclination downhill will change your parameters. And the first thing you do is overstride. Yeah. Your body detects it, right? And what, what did I tell you? Your body detects something that doesn't like, it goes into survival mode. So it wants to what? Slow down. Yeah, okay. you can definitely feel that, like thinking, thinking back on it for sure. Like, it yeah, absolutely, like, right? And you're just like, you know, you're kind of like flailing or whatever. Uh -huh. And, you know, some of the other methods, the the toe training. Toe training, is it is it a solid method? Absolutely. What is toe training? Toe training is like um, getting um, somebody in front of you with oh, a bungee yeah, cord. Yeah, yeah, where they're pulling on you. Hey, yeah. um, is, it, is, it, uh, is, it, uh, is it good? Yeah, it's good, but is it used in the right context, right? Mm -hmm. I can't get, uh, say, you know, a... NFL running back, right, and put him um, in front of a, say, a high school running back. Two different beasts, right? Mm -hmm. So he's, at that point, he takes off, right, and the kid's being towed, yeah. right? The kid does, I mean, he does want to run faster, right? But if he's not able to withstand the speed that that guy is forcing him to run, once again, what happens? You overstride, and it's not in a controlled environment. And so talk to me about the the incline then, because that sounds like maybe even more of like the staple and you use that as like the progression to it's, build certain attributes, certain qualities. Like what it, is it about that? It's, that it's, the, it's the whole thing. It's the building block, I feel, of increasing and developing speed on ground. Okay, so a couple factors with incline, right, is the, the biggest, the biggest you know, argument I always get into with, with coaches is, okay, that's great. Yeah, we can go uphill outside and run up a hill. We know running uphill works. Okay. Whether it's on the tread or whether it's outside. Okay. But a couple factors is that come into play. We'll go to the high performance treadmill is what the incline does. Okay. Average run on the incline within our protocols is say 25% incline. Okay. Our average protocol incline is 25%. Okay. Um, average speed is anywhere between eight to 10 miles per hour. Here's the thing about an incline. Okay. Is when your body is running at incline. Okay. Whether it's Let's just say whether it's 8% or 30%, okay, your body detects that incline, okay? So what happens is as your, let's just go, we'll start with foot contact. As your foot hits the belt, okay, your body has to put force into the belt. Whether the belt's moving or not, you still have to put force into the treadmill. We know that, ground force reaction, okay? So we'll take it from, you know, uh, 
tow, uh, um, ground contact to flight, all right, to, uh, to uh, ground contact again, okay? So we say, okay, foot hits the belt, okay? Okay, the body detects that incline, all right? So what the belt does is your foot hits the belt, right? As you power through, right, that belt will pull you through to an extent. It's not like you're being yanked, right? Your body is still able to detect that. Your body detects the incline, okay? So it hits, right? As you're pulling through, now we go into what we call triple extension, okay? Hip extension, knee extension, plantar flexion, okay? What that does is that causes a stretch on the anterior portion, okay, of the lower, of the leg, right? Stretch on the uh, quad, okay? And the cool thing about it, right, then you get stretch on the um, anterior tibialis. And how many times do you ever hear anybody talk about the anterior tibialis? Okay, so now you put a stretch in the anterior tibialis. So now, and even greater is the stretch at the hip flexor, okay? How many times do you ever hear a coach say, oh, yeah, we got we to gotta get that hip flexor stretched, right? You don't, right? It's always quads, hamstrings, glutes, okay? Hip flexor is key, right? Anterior tibialis at the lower leg is key, okay? So what happens is that your foot hits, it actually will pull you back into triple extension, okay? This is where it gets cool, okay? So now you got the stretch in the anterior portion, okay? The body detects that stretch, okay? The greater the stretch on any muscle, I don't care if it's, you know, your flexor halicus longus, I don't care if it's your extensor digitorium, whatever it is, any muscle in the body is elastic in nature if you make it that way. So you get that stretch, okay? Your body detects that stretch. Over time, using the incline, the higher that incline goes, the greater that stretch will become in a controlled environment. Okay, that's where a lot of guys go wrong with overspeed, is if that stretch is too great, It'll kick on the Golgi uh, organ tendon, right? And it causes a premature contraction. What happens when you cause a premature contraction in a muscle at a high rate of force? Boom. Okay. It turns on, boom. You, ah, you pull a hamstring. And you're down-regulating rather there it is. than taking advantage of that stretch reflex. There it is, right? So now you shut the GTO off. Now we manipulate the muscle spindles, right? Because we can detect the muscle spindles, right? It's literally a spring wrapped around the fiber. When you break it down microscopically, it looks like a spring, hence the muscle spindle. So right, we get that stretch right there, okay? Anterior side is stretched, right? The body detects that stretch. The greater the stretch on the muscle, the greater the what? Resulting contraction. Now we come into what we call the power, right? Everybody talks about triple extension, right? But nobody really hits triple flexion. What goes on in triple flexion, okay? Key, dorsal flexion, okay? Big toe, dorsal flexion, knee flexion, and importantly, hip flexion. Okay, and in turn, what happens on the posterior side? Okay, as that knee comes up into a higher okay range of motion, now you got stretch on the hamstring. Okay, and even greater, now you have stretch on the gastroxoleus complex, and you have stretch on the um, halicus longus. Right? You ever hear anybody say, "Oh man, we got to stretch that halicus longus"? You don't ever. Okay, but the cool thing about the incline is the body already knows. Right, the body knows way more than we do. Right, we just screwed up by doing stupid things, right? The cool thing about it is that body pushes it into extension, then we come into triple flexion, right? The power position is what I always call it, right? Because rarely do we ever work triple flexion, okay? The tread is beautiful at triple flexion. The cool thing about the incline too is it forces dorsal flexion, okay? That's, okay, because of the, like the angle a little bit more. Of the That's straight, right. Yeah. It, it goes back to the stretch, right? So boom, you're here, right? Then you're into, right, triple extension, and you're placing that stretch in that, uh, anterior tibialis on the front side of that foot, okay, or the, or the lower leg, and then automatically we get this position right here, okay, dorsal flexion, 
right? The greater the movement, okay, the greater dorsoflexion at the big toe and at the ankle, okay, you're going to get greater range of motion up the chain, okay? The greater the stretch on the gastroxoleus, the greater the stretch on the uh, hallucis longus, the greater the stretch on the hamstring, the greater the stretch on the glute, what happens? Ah, your return is more power into the ground, ground force reaction. And you do that over and over at different inclines using different holds, okay, um, over a eight-week period. Then you bring the incline down automatically. Now you have this and this and this. And when your foot hits at 22 miles an hour and, it, and you're pushed back this way, now your body understands what that stretch is. And so what happens? Greater the stretch, greater the contraction. Greater the stretch, greater the contraction. Greater the stretch, greater the contraction. You do it over and over and over over a periodized eight-week approach. Are they going to get faster on the ground? Absolutely. And that's interesting because I like the idea of <coughs> putting them in an environment where it forces them to do that reflexively as opposed to like the track coach mentality of knees up, of like just cueing them into these cue, positions cue. of if you just like put them in an environment where they have to do this repeatedly, then when you drop the incline down, all of a sudden they do it naturally. It's automatic. It's well, but like it's something that becomes more ingrained. That's right. And you, and you talk about cueing, right? Is <clears throat> Yeah, you can get a, you know, and I talk to this the track coach all the time. What we can do for the, the athlete in a two-week period, maybe even a one-week period on the treadmill, takes a track coach, right, eight to ten weeks if it's a lower-level athlete, right? Why? Because here's, here's another cool caveat, right, with the tread, right, is it's a very controlled environment. At any point in time, it's a one-on-one, -on -one, okay, speed session, right? I'm standing next to the tread. I tell the athlete, okay, hop up. You have ten seconds, okay? So then the cool thing is, is the athlete knows that. And then if you'll notice on the treads, right, there's a mirror in front of that treadmill. Okay. And then we get into what we call kinesthetic awareness. So what the body can see and feel at the same time, okay, your body will pick it up faster. So here's the key, right, is they're running, right? So they're at 25% incline, uh, 10 miles an hour. Ready, go, right? I'm standing there. He's running. He sees himself in the mirror, okay? He's getting that feedback of seeing himself. Then he hears me tell him what to do, okay? Higher knees, right? Get your knees up, all right? More dorsal flexion. Don't plantar flex so much, right? Arm drive. Get your arm in this position. Whatever it is I'm cueing him or her to do at that, that point in time, they see it in the mirror. They hear me. They feel it, right? And so they've got the ocular motor, the vestibular, and they're hearing and feeling at the same time, right? Then you get kinesthetic awareness. And they pick it up a lot faster. As opposed to saying, okay, all right, um, Zach, I want you to run. Okay, ready, go. All right, we'll film you, all right? Ready, go. All right, you're running down the track. All right, come back. All right, you know, you need to do A, B, C, and D. And you're like, oh, okay, all right? Then you focus on A, B, C, or D, right? Well, if you can't feel or see yourself doing it, all right, you, over repetition, you may get it, right? But if I can tell you exactly what to do and how to do it, and you can see yourself doing it at the same time, right? That's right, and we, instant feedback. You get instant feedback, right? And that instant feedback, right? That's why I tell coaches, Okay, you don't like the tread, all right? That's fine if you don't like the tread, right? But I'm telling you right now, I can take an athlete, right, and do what it's going to take you eight to ten weeks to do in one to two weeks. I do like that Just idea, like that. too, of, like you said, being able to be very precise in the exact inclines we're doing, the exact speeds we're working at. There is a, more like a much greater element of control compared to going out and just finding a hill that the hill is what it is and stuff like that. Sure. You don't get to control any of those variables. That, there's no control in those variables. Right? And do, do I do I think running up a hill outside is great? Absolutely, right? Not One that we have many of those in Florida. Do you have many of those in Florida, right? Yeah. What if you're um, in Alaska, right? Can you go outside in uh, November, December in Alaska and run outside? No, you'll freeze your ass off. Mm -hmm. 
right? So you have to have some kind of controlled environment. So you limit yourself to what you're trying to do. Um, and, and I, in running up a hill outside is great. Okay. Here's another factor, which a lot of people don't think about when it comes to the tread, right? It's all about neural drive. How can we tell the brain to tell the muscles to fire at a higher rate of force over and over and over and over again? Okay. That's if I, here's a cool, if, if I say, I want you to get on in the treadmill and run at 30% incline at eight miles an hour. And I want you to do it for 15 seconds. You have two options. Either you do it. Okay. Or you don't. Okay. Take same. I always, and I, this is the argument I get into coaches and I've gotten a lot of arguments with coaches about it. Right. I'm like, all right, coach. Cool. All right. Let's do, do outside running uh, hills works. Okay. Give me your five best hard hitting toughest kids you can possibly get. I'm going to take them outside. We're going to find a hill that is 30% uh, incline, okay? And we're going to do, say, 15 sprints, okay? And you're going to run up that hill for, uh, say, 25 meters. They're going to run up as hard as they can. They're going to walk back down, okay? This is what's going to happen, all right? I don't care how tough you are. Once you get fatigued, okay? And I always say fatigue makes cowards of us all. Once you get fatigued and you're running up a hill and you're trying to technically do it for speed, okay? Yeah, we know, right? Is it going to get you strong? Yes. Is it going to condition you a little bit? Yes. Right? Is it going to make you faster? Not to an extent, but not like it is on the tread. Because if you go outside and I say, all right, I want you to run up that hill, 25 meters, and we're going to do it 15 times, right? By the fifth to sixth set, right, the body gets fatigued. As soon as the body gets fatigued and they're running up a hill outside, two things happen. Their frequency, okay, stride frequency decreases, and their stride length decreases. You decrease frequency, you decrease length, you decrease ground force reaction which is the whole point for speed. Okay, how can you make somebody faster? You gotta teach them to put more force into the ground through strength, through speed, and through power. So you're saying there's less fatigue on the treadmills in here? There's, there's fatigue on the treadmill, right? But the cool thing about it is, I, because it's a controlled environment, if I ask them to run for... So at this point, our interview actually got interrupted. The tech was not working. It took us a couple of minutes to catch it. So there's a little bit of a blank space in there. Um, but we were able to get that restart that the second half is on Zoom, so it's not quite as clear, the audio or the video. Um, so bear with us. Hope it's still worth listening to and valuable. And here is part two. Yes. All right. Hi. Um, all right. So we'll kind of just jump back in, um, see how much we got. But basically, like that, that neural drive, like that right. max output idea, something that we were just talking about that I do think is very, very, very effective, something that nobody really touches on very frequently. People don't get into that max output, that longer duration. Like a lot of sprints are so short, they never even touch top speed. They don't. No. Um, so I'm just curious what your thoughts are and like how that affects performance and things like that. So if we go back to, you know, talking about neural drive and you're talking about neural drive, yeah, nobody really reaches top speed. I mean, some, some athletes are capable of doing it, but you got to teach them to get to that point. Right. And that goes back to neural drive. But the cool thing about neural drive and you talk to coaches is, is if you can tap into a certain parameter within the, the nervous system itself, right. Neural output, you can take a slow kid and make him fast. You can take a fast guy and make him even faster. You can take a four or five guy and give him, get him to a four, 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 three. Right? We know that for a fact, but the cool thing too, is what coaches love as well is the coaches love getting into those racks. They love getting into the racks and, you know, getting up under the bar, as they call it. Right? And I completely agree with that. But if you can increase neural output by using the, the, the tread and then put them into the racks and their neural output is greater, their neural output is going to be greater within the strength parameters. They'll squat more. It goes back to, say, dorsal flexion. If you can increase dorsal flexion by using the incline on the tread and you increase dorsal flexion under the rack, you're going to squat more. Why? Because you have greater range of motion and greater stability at the hip because you have more range of motion at the ankle. And I mean, you talked about like way back when you were talking about like the, being able to recognize a division one athlete, like 
at a young, young age, like mm -hmm. probably one of those biggest differences is just that nervous system, like what they can output. That's like, it. From some of them just have it naturally, but being able to build that quality in whoever from wherever it is to maybe what they can get to is going to be one of the biggest things that I think can improve. That's exactly right. And, and to produce anything. With, with, without a doubt, you know, and, and sport in general, what is sport? It doesn't matter. I would say this, it doesn't matter if you're a, a basketball player, a football player, a baseball player, um, a shot putter, uh, what name, what sport, um, ice skating, right? Figure so skating. Funny, I was say ice hockey. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> hockey. Well, a lot of the stuff I developed was from hockey players, right? Hockey players are just sprinters on the ice, amazing athletes. But what's the one thing that everybody has in common is they're all athletes and they all have to have some kind of power output. Okay. Um, I could take a, a baseball pitcher. I could take a shot putter and I could take a 200, hundred meter runner and run them through the same system and the same protocols on the treadmill and not do anything else, right? And we've proved this with baseball players. We've got a group up in uh, North Carolina that's proved it by just getting a kid out of the, out of the uh, cages from throwing the ball, right? And putting them on the treadmill and going through a progression, right? Of quote unquote neural development, right? Say eight weeks and they don't throw for eight weeks, right? Or they don't throw the shot put for eight weeks, okay? Or they don't sprint for, you know, um, eight weeks. And we get them into the rack or we get them into the cage or we get them onto the ice, whatever it may be. Their output is greater. Why? Because we're forcing the body to go above and beyond their perceived levels of exertion and ability. Why? Because if I ask an athlete to run once again at incline at 11 miles an hour for eight to 10 seconds, they have to do it. And we do it over and over and over and over again, right? Not only does their nervous system, right, enhance, their neural drive, of course, enhances. Their anaerobic capacity enhances. Why? Because if I can take somebody from 120 beats per minute to 180 in an eight-second span, and we do it over and over and over, not only are they better conditioned, not only are we getting them to move better, right? We're getting them into the racks, and they're stronger. Their velocity on the ball is greater. Their velocity on the spin is greater. Their velocity coming around the corner is greater. The, whatever it may be, everything is greater. Why? Because we taught the brain to fire the muscles at a higher rate of force, okay, with greater consistency. That is very interesting. And it makes a lot of sense of if you just, without even getting into the sport-specific activity, if you can just dial up the output that we could produce from here, that without training it, they can go back and perform at a higher level and yeah. whatever, yeah, whatever sport it is that they're trying to do, they can go and replicate that. And, and, and we know that for a fact. And, you know, and science is, and science is proving it right now. We've got people doing the studies on it. We've, we're uh, working with groups that are going to be able to analyze motion Right? You analyze motion and then you study it. We know for a fact that it works, right? And it's more effective, right, than getting, you know, because everybody wants speed, right? But really nobody knows how to train speed. It's all right. Everybody line up, all right, and or do cone drills or do agility ladders, whatever speed is, right? I'm not saying any of that is bad, right? But is it really giving them the neural output that they're really capable of, uh, of uh, getting, right? Because the body's capable of amazing things, right? We just have to override certain parameters to do that. So you traditional speed is all right let's go outside and we're gonna do what sprints all right well if you're slow right and you don't know how to get any faster you're just gonna run right as fast as you or hard as you can but once fatigue sets in what do you do you slow down why frequency decreases length decreases okay the fast guys stay fast the smarter guys stay moderate slow guys stay slow okay but you can switch that right by enhancing neural drive you can take a slow guy make it faster make the moderate guy even faster and take the fastest guys and make them even faster and so within that neural drive concept then can you see carry over and improvements and things like first step and things like change of direction without a doubt by spending i know you guys do so much of that stuff you have to yeah like I, we are big into ground base you i, I call it transference 
right? You're, you're taking the body to school on the tread, right? You're teaching the brain to fire the muscles at a higher rate of force, right? But just like school, right? As you get, you get a knowledge, but just like you were saying, you didn't get your knowledge until you came and you did some kind of experience outside of school, right? It's the same thing for the human body. We're going to take them to task on the tread, teach their brain, right? Teach their nervous system to fire at a higher rate of force. You put them on the field, right? There's a transference phase. I always say one to two weeks, but the body's like, oh, yeah, I can do, I can go faster. I know what's going on now, right? Okay, instead of running in a straight line, right? I'm going to be able to stop, plant, and cut, right? Because now the way we train, right? Is now I'm strong here, I'm strong here. I have more range of motion at my ankle. I have more range of motion at my big toe, which means I can put more force, right, over my knee, which in turn gives me more stability to the hip, which in turn causes more power in the ground. I'm stable, I'm strong, boom. Am I more agile? Am I more power in the ground? Absolutely, in any direction. Got it. So it's almost like capacity and then like application. It is. That's exactly right. Gotcha. Right. So then would you say like if we look at performance and like output as like a combination of we've got kind of like the neurological piece, the neural drive, we've got like the physical, structural, like what are the tissues capable of, like muscular force and things mm -hmm. like that. And then even biomechanics, date patterns, like those three things are all kind of interacting to perform or to give us like our, our high speed output and that sort of thing. Like of the three of those. I'm sure different athletes maybe need more or less of some, but like, is there one, is it the neural drive output that you see contributes the most to that performance? Without a doubt. Without a doubt. It's the neural drive. And it goes back to the racks, right? Everybody wants to get under the bar, right? Everybody wants to be bigger, stronger, right? But if you can increase neural drive, you're going to get in the racks and you're going to be stronger on your squat. You get stronger on your squat. We know it translates over to more power into the field. Okay. You can get stronger in your cleans. Okay. What is a clean? Clean is just being able to lift the bar from the ground up at a high rate of force, right? Velocity. That's where kind of the that's where kind of the industry is starting to change. They're realizing, holy shit, if I can move that bar at a higher rate of force, not so slow, it's different for power lifters. It's different for bodybuilders. It's different for strongmen, right? They just want to pick up as much weight as they possibly can. It doesn't matter how fast it comes up, right? Just as long as it gets up off the ground, right? You're going to set that record. But for athletes, it's different. What is sport? Sport is chaotic. No matter if you're a figure skater, you're a baseball pitcher, you're a, a whatever sport you may be, right? You all you have to have power, but you have to be able to increase the velocity of a jump and a figure skating jump, the velocity of a baseball, the velocity of your bat, the velocity of throwing the football, the velocity and being able to stop, cut, and move if you're a, a running back, right? Velocity to be able to come out of the blocks and accelerate. Okay? All that is based on neural drive, and we're starting to understand. That's where velocity-based training is coming, VBT, yeah. yeah. right? That's huge in the industry now, but still people aren't picking up on it, right? If I can get a big, strong kid to pick up 225 pounds in a clean as fast as they can off the ground, you got to teach them to do that. So how are they doing it? Now they're getting visual cues, right? Now you've got these things like um, the perch, right? Being able to, um, the tendo units, being able to measure uh, velocity of the bar. Why do you want to measure velocity of the bar? Well, if a kid is standing there, right? And you have to get a certain speed of that bar up off the ground, right? But you don't know what you're doing, right? You may feel like, oh, yeah, that was, that was, that had to be in the green. Well, it wasn't in the green according to what we just read. Okay, you've got to get in the green. How do you do that? Okay, you got to put more force. But you got to teach the brain, to teach the muscles, to fire at that rate of force. So when you do pick up something and you have something in front of you, you can see it, right? And you are in the green with some of these technologies and you see that that bar is moving at the speed we're asking you to move it. Can you do it over and over and over, whether you're running, sprinting, whatever, whatever it may be, and you know you're getting at a higher rate of velocity, velocity-based training, 
is your neural drive and output going to be greater on the field without a doubt? That's interesting to like the neural drive side of things. Is that Everything that you would say is like contributes the most. And probably if you look around at just the industry in general, it's probably the least trained. So like the least developed and most athletes and that sort of thing. So it's very, it's very interesting. The, uh, kind of the gap there, like you said, to this day, right? Everybody, what do they say? Speed kills, speed kills, speed kills. Right. But who's really training speed, right? TCU this past year made huge headway in uh, the football world, right? Because TCU really shouldn't have been technically quote unquote in the national championship, but they were, why they trained speed four times, three to four times per week. Not get in the racks and just get heavy, 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 right? Let's get it out on the field and let's train speed, right? They got faster on the field. Their slow guys got fast, right? The moderate guys got faster and their fastest guys got even faster. But that made them a very effective team. And then mindset is starting to change with a lots of coaches within the strength industry of like, okay, speed, it does make a difference because when you're on a field, right, you can make slow guys fast and they're 325 pounds and you make them fast. And you see some of these guys now that are running sub fives and they're 300 plus pounds, dude. I mean, are you kidding me? Why? We're finally tapping into that neural drive that we've been talking about. And what, I mean, I always say that the treadmill is, specifically designed for that not the speed of the belt the incline because the incline forces these guys to get into proper movement patterns you get into the proper movement pattern their performance increases and their skill increases and their neural drive just goes up the chain right most coaches are like skill right baseball is a perfect example they don't give a shit how a kid's moving right let's go out and we're going to play a baseball 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 throw 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 okay skills Skill, 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 skill. Well, if you do that over and over and over, right? Okay. What happens? The rate of injury goes up now in the industry for, for baseball players. Mm -hmm. Kids getting Tommy John at 12, 13. Why? If he didn't know how to throw baseball at velocity, right? And he's not strong enough to throw baseball at velocity. What's going to happen? Of course, his arm's going to go up. And so with the, the incline, we've touched on it some, but what is the, maybe some of the differences? Because now like the curved treadmills, woodways are very, like very popular now. And stuff the like curves? That. Like, yeah. It's uh, I call them a one trick pony. Okay. Um, does it put you into a, a, a good biomechanical pattern? Yes. Right. So if I have an athlete that uh, gets on the curve and I'm not saying it's good, bad, or indifferent is it's an effective tool, right? But is it an paradise approach? Okay. So if you get on, right. And I get on, I can top out at 17 miles per hour. You can top out at 20 miles per hour. How am I going to get to 20 miles per hour? How are you going to get to 22 miles per hour? Is it going to put you in the right running mechanics properly? Yeah. That's what it's designed for. Right. It increases what? extension and it increases flexion because of that's why what, what's cool about the the, the curve right is it, it's causing what dorsal flexion okay but if you top out at 20 miles per hour okay and you can't go any faster is it going to help you no you have to, there's got to be another way so that's where the, the incline comes into play that's where the motor comes into play i'm not saying non-motorized is wrong we do non-motorize quite a bit within the system right but if i want an athlete to go from 17 to 19 we can't do it on a curve Almost more right. of like an assessment evaluation tool than a training exactly. tool. Exactly. And, does it, and um, if you do it over and over and over, right, is it going to condition you? Absolutely, it's going to condition you, right? But once again, it was a neural drive. If I don't know how to run over 17 miles an hour, okay, I'm not going to run over 17 miles an hour until I figure out how I'm going to do it. Well, how do you figure out how to do it? You've got to teach the nervous system to fire at a higher rate of force. Does the curve do that? No. Does it put you in the right uh, movement mechanics? Yes. Okay. Got it. Then you touched on with like with TCU, the, the application of that 
a in a team setting but then also more of like an in-season versus off-season mm -hmm. like could maybe speak to that more of like what you do with your different athletes when they are in season off-season i know you work with a lot of teams we, so we, like, it's work? um so preseason, right you there's a lot of things preseason. um you've got a condition um good you got a condition right you got to get them faster and you got to get them stronger so th th there's that but in season right they're playing so much, but still the one thing that we always touch on, right, when we bring our athletes in is hit speed, mm. speed of movement. It has to be hit all the time, day in, day out, over and over and over again, right? To keep increasing that neural drive. And I mean, and, like, that makes sense, too, of, like, even an athlete that's in season is probably not going to touch a lot of those speeds. Even soccer players on the biggest field of anything, like, rarely, rarely hit a true, true top speed. Sure. So even to give them, I like that idea of in season and in general, of like, giving athletes the opposite of what they get in their actual training environment. They're already, if anything, over-trained there. So what are the sure. things that they're missing? And that being one of the big pieces. Right. Well, soccer is, uh, you know, since you're a soccer guy, cool, the cool thing with soccer is um, – we had an opportunity to go over to, um, I don't know if we're getting off topic, but I just think it's a cool story. Considering well, um, talking about soccer, we got a chance to go over to uh, England, Dario and I, and work with uh, Leicester City. No way. Uh, and uh, the European. Right? Yeah. So we're, we're Dario and I aren't soccer. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Just not soccer guys. We're, we're Americans, right? We just don't, you know. <laughs> when we go over there, right, soccer is everything. Yeah. So they call us up. So they buy a tread. They call us up and like, hey, we've got one specific guy. And they bought the tread. For one specific guy they've got a gazillion dollars so it doesn't matter right but they fly us over and they say hey we've got one guy um i can't remember who he was but he was a very high level um midfielder got it okay very high level and these guys get paid when you get over there and you realize i was like holy smokes i didn't realize right what european soccer is right so they bring us over and they say all right we've got a guy um he's um he's not uh he's not doing what we need him to do basically right we're paying him an exorbitant amount. i think they were paying this guy like 20 million right but he's not making the 90th minute right and on film we we, we think his mechanics just aren't where they need to be he's really we need him to get to 90 minutes right but he's only making 80 minutes how can we get this figured out and he said we they, they go we've been working on the pitch right they call it the pitch right we've been working on the pitch with them you know um what we need to do is up his intensity decrease his volume because we've got to decrease his volume because he's got you know two high level soccer matches per week but he's just not getting where we need him to do is there something we can do using the treads and so i sit there with dario and i'm like I'm not growing. I, you know I'm like, i don't know i don't know so i go back and i say okay soccer he's got to make 90 minutes all right so let's let's not change once again incline okay because i know incline does what what we've been talking about incline is going to force him to get into a parameter and a biomechanical efficiency that he needs to get into that they weren't able to get on the, out on the pitch, right? Why? Because they're telling him, you got to move faster. You got to go faster. You got to do this. You got to do A, B, C, and D. Well, it, it doesn't matter how many times, even a high level guy, if, if you tell him you need more dorsal flexion, you need more of this, you need more of that, blah, blah, blah. If he doesn't know or see what he's doing, then he's not going to get it, right? So I said, all right, let's do this. I said, we're going to do, because our levels are um, level one, we have level two, level three, and then we have a, level, a fourth level. Um, and within those levels, right, it's three times per week per, um, per, uh, per week, right? So there's three sessions per week. So I said, all right, that's what we're going to do. And we're in the back and I'm talking, I'm like, because I'm like, I can't say, I don't really know what to do, right? But all right, so this is what we're going to do. I said, all right, we're going to do level one, day one, week one, session one, right? And I was like, well, this guy's a high level dude, right? We got to get him to, I'm like, it doesn't matter. I said, we're going to do what we do with our 14 year old athletes 
with this high level guy. The only thing I'm going to change is the speed and the time. They need him to increase his, uh, basically his aerobic capacity to get him to 90 minutes. Um, and second, we've got to fix this guy's mechanics. And we looked at him, right? And I, I was watching the video, right? And in my mind, I'm like, this guy runs just like a chicken. <laughs> right? So I'm players like so staying. We're notorious. So players like staying in tight, man. They're like, right? Right? We got to get this guy to 90 minutes, right? And he's got to do it at a high level. They say he, he runs anywhere between uh, like 10 and 12 miles per game. I'm like, holy shit, right? Now I'm like, what are we really going to do with this guy? So, um, and I got the video footage of him running, but. So they're like, okay, we need to up his intensity and do keeps the volume. That was my other thought. I was like, I cannot screw this up, right? And so I say, okay, let's, uh, let's, let's do day one, week one, session one. Instead of a 25% um, incline at uh, you know, 10 seconds and 10 miles per hour, we're going to run him at 25% incline, okay? Eight miles an hour for 15 to 20 seconds, right? Enhances aerobic capacity. So we start on this guy and he gets on the tread. I'm standing, once again, I'm standing next to him and I'm cueing him. All right, we've got the mirror in front of him. He's seeing, right? He's feeling, he's hearing. So all those things we talked about, that kinesthetic awareness, he begins to pick up, right? His knee drive is good. His dorsal flexion is good. His arm drive now isn't short and choppy, right? Now we got him kind of opening up a little bit, okay? And so they have the, the catapult put on him, right? So they've got the, they, they're reading his miles per hour. Um, they're reading his biomechanical efficiencies. They've got him on the heart rate, right? They've got um, VO2 max. They got all this shit on him, right? And so we come back and they give us a chart, right? He goes through the full week one, day one, session one, right? Um, of the protocols. It's just once again, I tweak the incline, change the, right? And so get him off. And so we're talking about volume, okay? Here's another cool thing about the tread is it decreases volume and the amount of pressure that's on an athlete from a volume standpoint. So within a five, he ran a total of four point, like five, six, seven, seven. They had everything, you know, data-wise. I like, well, you know, he ran five minutes, right? They just put it for fucking five minutes, right? He ran five minutes, total for five minutes, right? His physiological parameters based on his heart rate and getting into the anaerobic threshold is where he needed to get to within five minutes. We were able to duplicate what they were seeing with this guy in an 80-minute high-level European soccer match. Whoa. And I did it in five minutes. In one session. In one session. And when you see the video, right, he begins to open up his stride. His knee drive is great. His arm drive is great. He's not choppy, he, right? So did we decrease his volume up? His, yeah, absolutely. Did we up his intensity? Absolutely. Right? Because his heart rate keeps going up and up and up and up. The cool thing about it is I can correct his mechanics. And I did it in one session where it took, they, you know, we're talking a high level of uh, what they call them physios, right? And in a two-week period, they couldn't correct them, right? Why? Because they, were, they, they weren't able to teach him, right, once again, right? They were telling him what to do. He just wasn't picking it up. Why? Because he couldn't see himself do it. He wasn't feeling it. That's cool. Once again, once again about the trick. neural drive. That's like, it, man. Yeah. Right. That get the carryover. Yeah. Like, and do something slow and like yeah. the weight room, but then actually getting that to translate to when you're doing that's stuff right. like max output on the field. That's exactly right. As opposed to getting, you know, so I can get five guys, uh, you know, five to seven guys on the tread and they're running at six second bursts of speed, right? Go, 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 stop. Go, 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 stop. Rest, work, rest. Rest, work, rest. Over, 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 over. What a sport, right? Rest, work, rest. Right. Go, 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 stop. Go, 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 stop. For how long? Average playing football, six seconds. Average playing uh, uh, baseball, right? Six seconds. Average play in uh, volleyball, six seconds. Everything's within that six to 
12 second parameter, right? Unless you get into cross country, that changes right parameters, okay? But everything is that work to that rest to work ratio. Go, 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 stop. But how effective is it, right? You can, you can do that outside, right? But if you're outside in the heat, right? And you know, you're gonna go out and say, I need you to do X amount of sprints um, over and over and over again, right? Fatigue is gonna set in. Do they get fatigue on the tread? Yes. But every time they step on the tread, I'm capable of telling them what to do and how to do it. They have the mirror in front of them. They hear me. They see me. They feel right. Their knee drive is greater. Their dorsal flexion is greater. You know, talk about the great toe. I, I know that you work a lot with the big toe. You work a lot with dorsal flexion, right? Most, I mean, how many times do people do that? They don't. Right? But if you can, like I said, if you can increase uh, flexion uh, and extension, basically dorsal flexion, plantar flexion at the big toe and the ankle, right? Your knee's going to be stronger. Your hips are going to be more stable. You can get strong in the racks because you can get more depth in the racks, all right? And you can put more power. Why? Because you have that elastic uh, nature that we've been talking about. And so it's interesting too, with like the, you keep comparing like the inside to the outside, you can almost get some of that like auto-regulation essentially, like mm -hmm. with everything in here, because yeah, like yeah. when it's, if you see, reach a certain like drop off, you literally just can't perform. At you just can't perform, yeah. right? You're fatigued, yeah, you're tired. You don't do doing it. reps with decreased intensity, decreased quality and that sort that's of thing. It. With the, because you keep touching on the the mobility of like the toes and the ankles and stuff like that, is that something that the, I'm sure you guys do some direct work on, but almost like the incline itself can create some of that mobility. It and some forces of it. It forces it, right? We could get, we, we do mobility work where we'll get them into a position where, right, okay, we'll do, right, just want you to force that knee over that toe, mm. okay? Put them on the slant boards, right? Force that knee over that toe. Mm. Do it barefoot, right? Take your shoes off and do it barefoot. Why? Because if you have um, some kind of sole underneath that's taking that cushion, right, your big toe doesn't function like it needs to. Cool thing about the incline that goes back right is as soon as that foot hits okay it causes a great stretch on that gastroxolis complex which right? again just that max neural output you get just such a greater adaptation that's it. and that's over time using the incline once again right you increase what okay dorsal flexion at the ankle but even greater dorsal flexion at the big toe that's amazing the big toe is a huge function right nobody ever think you ever hear a strength coach all right boys we're working uh big toes today yeah 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 Right. No toe days in the gym. No toe days in the gym. Right. There's no toe days in the gym. Yeah. Right. You got to quads, baby, hamstrings. We got to get that ass strong. Right. But if you can get more stability and uh, quote unquote mobility too at the ankle and the big toe, it goes right up the chain. Right. And if you go up the chain and everything is stable from up, right, you're going to get more power in the racks. You're going to move the bar with greater velocity, which is where the industry is going. Mm. Right. It really is. The industry is going. Okay. Yeah. I, everybody loves it. Sometimes get under the bar and pick up a big, heavy bar. Right. Kind of empowering. Right. But you know, when you do a power clean, you do it for reps and you do it for speed. Right. It's going to translate onto the field. Right. The speed kills on the field. Yeah. hundred percent. How many times do you see like the best athlete on the field is rarely the best athlete, like in the gym. Like, so clearly we're missing something. Like, exactly right. Dude. Yeah. Exactly right. Well, amazing, dude. Thank you so much for kind of having me out, like taking some time, taking the time to sit down and have the conversation. Definitely looking forward. I feel like we could do this for a much. We can do a longer time. I think we can go for three hours, man. We didn't sure. even get into going uh, backwards, right? No, so we do a lot of lateral yeah, yeah, yeah. and backwards stuff on the tread. And I know um, the knees over toes. You guys are big on that, that yeah. the retro side of things. Why do we go backwards? Well, I mean, we move. Technically, we don't necessarily move backwards, right? But it's a whole different biomotor pattern in moving forward, right? But remember, your body works in 360 degrees planes of motion, right? Rarely do we ever work in those planes of motion in the weight room. Mm. The weight room, it's always sagittal plane, right? Yeah. Always getting things right in front of your body, right? Clean, squat, dead, bench, pull-ups, push-ups, whatever it is, it's all, right? But sometimes we, in sport, right? Sport is chaotic. You got to be able to move forward, sideways, backwards, right? Rarely do we ever move backwards. Yeah. No, and once definitely. again, we go backwards on the tread, right? And we go back to dorsal flexion and 
uh, dorsal flexion at the big toe in a retrograde um, position on the treadmill. Once again, it forces that. Right? Or maybe we even go lateral. Why do we go sideways in the treadmill? That's you know, that. then we can do what we call the subsystem, right? Lateral subsystem, right? Going out the posterior oblique subsystem, the anterior um, oblique subsystem, right? The lateral subsystem, right? There's all these subsystems. Your, your body works in tandem. Right to left, left to right, up, down, side, side, 360 degrees. You don't train it that way. What happens? You increase your injury rate. Mm. Now we'll definitely have to run this back. Make sure the tech's working next time. Yeah, I think we can definitely <laughs> yeah, do, do something. Absolutely, dude. So yeah, we'll definitely yeah. have to come back. Maybe you can come up to Orlando, and I'd oh, love to. to get the opportunity to jump on these yeah. and try them out. You, so. Yeah, you have to run with a pretty uh, high quality athlete. So yeah, yeah, cool, we'll man. see if I can keep up. Yeah, you'll be fine. Man. Thank you very much. For yeah. me, man. Appreciate you. Know, thank you for coming. Absolutely. Yeah.